All right. For our third session, uh, we're going to be talking about a specific subset of progressive Christianity called moral exemplarism. So we'll work to, as before, sort of define the view. What would an adherent or a teacher of this idea say? What would they teach? Then we're going to talk about, all right, what are the problems? And then how do we practically talk to someone who maybe holds this view? And so with this, along with a lot of issues, it's always helpful to define terms. What is moral exemplarism? Um, at a high level, it is the belief that Jesus came to be our moral example, our model for living at the exclusion of everything else. So Jesus coming, his teachings, his life, the cross, we're all meant to sort of show us the model for how we're supposed to live out this life. And so this is seen in how he treats the poor, the oppressed, heals the sick, is kind. Those, those are the, the primary focuses. And if, if humans would just all model their lives after Christ in that way, that would be the key to human flourishing, in essence. The key to a, a better world for everyone is that we just model our morality off Christ. And so this specifically is seen at the cross. That's like the pinnacle of the model that Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, the purpose of that was to show us the height of his love and how we're therefore supposed to love other people just like that. We're supposed to suffer like he did. We're supposed to care about them as he did. And again, this is at the exclusion of, of everything else. This is the primary purpose of Jesus' life, ministry, and death. This view sort of first appeared on the scene actually in around 1100 um, from a French theologian called Peter Abelard. So in, in his mind, Christ's death on the cross was meant to instill repentance in the individual. So they'd repent of their lack of love towards people in light of Jesus's love. And then they'd turn and actually love people differently as a result. So it was repentance from poor morality in Abelard's view and then sort of moving along to a better morality. And it sort of lay, lay dormant for a little bit, and then it really picked up steam again in the Enlightenment. So in the Enlightenment, you have 1700s, 1800s. Uh, the presupposition there was that the miracles and anything supernatural in the Bible wasn't true. There are no miracles. And so then, if that's the presupposition, you have to answer the question, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? In a way that's different than the historical Orthodox perspective, right? So that's when Abelard's views picked up again. Okay, if it's not to die for our sins, then he came as a model. He came to show us what true love looked like and that we should therefore copy him in every respect. And that was the Enlightenment's view. And a lot of the times um, back then and, and even now, the, the desire of the moral exemplarist is, is good, right? They, they don't like human suffering. They don't like hate. They want peace, human flourishing, welfare. And so the, the impetus to adopt this view isn't out of some hate for humanity. They actually think this is the best way for humanity to thrive, to progress, right? So it's coming from a good desire in a lot of ways. And they have also strong biblical evidence as well. I think we'll, we'll go to two passages. First, John 13, if you'll turn there with me. So we would say, okay, where, where in the Bible do they find this view? And I want to show you a couple examples so John 13, it's when Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet. We'll start in verse 12. He says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. So you see that example language, right? Jesus gave us the example of washing his disciples' feet. Therefore, we also should do likewise. We'll go one more. First uh, John 4, if you'll flip. First um, John 4, we'll start in verse 9. Again, look for this example, modeling, mimicking language here. So John writes, starting in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, right? So you see Christ, his death on the cross, we also ought to love one another just like Christ does. And so Christ is our inspiration, right, in that way to live a better life. If, if you've ever seen the movie The Patriot, Patriot, it's Mel Gibson set in the Revolutionary War, last battle scene between the British and the Americans, a uh, very important battle, right? All the Americans start fleeing. The, the British are routing them, they're running away from the fight, and, and Mel Gibson sees this, and in an act of her, heroics, he picks up an American flag and starts like running past the fleeing Americans back towards the British, killing people on his way, stands on this hill, starts waving the flag. It's, it's epic, right? And then the Americans see it, and they're inspired, and they turn around, they join the fight with Mel Gibson, and they defeat the British, right? And, and there's a sense in which that's the view of the cross. Jesus inspires us so much with his act that we then do the same, right? So with that in mind, um, I'm going to quote a couple just short quotes from modern day adherence. So we've talked about historical view, enlightenment, biblical evidence, and then how does that play out today? I'm going to quote a couple people just so we uh, A, know what is the type of language that the moral exemplarist would use, but then B, what are sort of the repercussions to how this view um, would see the gospel, right? Like, okay, this is fine if this is their view, but how does that maybe change how they would view the good news. So four quotes, they're pretty short. Um, first one, the gospel is the announcement of a new kingdom, a new way of life, and a new way of peace. The gospel is God's vision for a new way of living. The gospel is God's good news that God is ever pursuing his original creation mandate of human flourishing and perfect relationship. Or the last one, Jesus didn't die to save you from something. He died to save you for something. Jesus' death was meant to show Christians the way we are to live by breaking open our bodies and pouring out our lives out for the healing and redemption of the world. That is why Jesus died. That is the message of the cross. And so you see there, it's, it's this internal moral change that Jesus sort of inspires in us that results in horizontal human flourishing, right? So it's a new morality that leads to this new way... For, people to live together. It's, it's very horizontal, right? So with that all set up, the, the question is naturally, is that a problem? And if so, why? And I'd say it's, it's not really about what the moral exemplarist is, is saying, right? We'll get to this more in a, in a minute, but Christ surely is our example, our model. It's really what they're, they're not saying. It's what they're excluding or omitting, right? This is Christ's our model at the exclusion of everything else. And this, this idea of omission 
or ignoring something, I think is so important just, just to park here. If you don't know someone who believes in one or more of these views, like you're going to. And so it's really, really important that we know why the view is wrong, not just that it's wrong. And so listen intently to, to all of these things. Have biblical evidence. Have a, a reason for your hope as a Christian. Because in a lot of these cases, the, the gospel, salvation's at risk. This isn't just like, oh yeah, now I know how to defeat someone in the argument. It's Their very salvation is at stake in a lot of these conversations. And so that's why we need to understand what is the problem. Not to just beat them up but to show them truth. And so with this and a lot of the progressive Christian idea, it's the omission. It's the half-truth, right? It's not clearly coming out and saying like, yeah, we shouldn't read the Bible. That would be too obvious. Satan masquerades as a, an angel of light, right? But it's a half-truth that, that seems right, but a half-truth is no truth at all. And so in here, right, this idea of omission or ignoring or excluding something about Christ's person at work comes shining through. And that's, that's the core of the issue. And so we'll walk through three specific things that the moral exemplarist is ignoring. Um, first, and, and Z mentioned this a little bit from Michael Kruger's book, they ignore the, the deity of Christ. So for the moral exemplarist, the deity of Christ doesn't matter. It's his humanity, right? He is the uberman or superman, as the German liberal theologians would say, that really isn't, he's not God, he's the highest form of humanity. He came to show us actually humanity's potential and that if we only modeled our life off him more, we would become just like Jesus, perfect morality, perfect in relationships. And so really he's sort of bucketed, if we're being honest, with a Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. in which he's a really good moral teacher, really good morals himself, and that our lives and the lives of those around us would be better if we lived like Jesus. What would, what would Jesus do? However, you can't divorce the biblical stance on Jesus's deity, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the great I Am. Before Abraham existed, he was, and that nothing has been created apart from Christ. Nothing was created for anything but for Christ's glory. And at the end of the day, every knee will not recognize him as a good moral teacher, but they will bow before him. And that perspective, it's, it's reorienting. See, for the moral exemplarist, it's really about them with Jesus as the sidekick, right? It's about them improving their morality, and Jesus helps them do that. But for the Christian, for us, Jesus is the one who's the hero. He's the focus. He's the one we worship, right? And additionally, I think Kruger points this out really well. Um, we have to ask the question, if, if Christ is not God, why do we care? So he says, why should anyone care? After all, if Jesus is just an ordinary man, why would we think his particular code, his moral code, is better than anyone else's? So it's a self-defeating system for them, right? If Jesus is God, they have to comprehensively obey everything he says in his word. And if he's not God, what authority does he have? Why, why should we try and model our lives off of him, right? It's, it's inconsistent. So that's one. Um, two, they ignore the reality of sin and God's wrath. So this is expanding a little bit on, on what Z talked about at the beginning. But in, in the view of the moral exemplarist, their gospel is morality, right? It is an improved lifestyle, an improved way of living among other humans. See, the, the key issue 
for them is human to human relationships and, and sort of this horizontal focus. And so since the key issue is wrong, the, the prognosis, the gospel is also wrong. You, we read those quotes from earlier. It's, it's all human to human, right? There's no vertical good news. However, we see again, scripturally, the, the clear and abounding evidence that the problem is sin and the solution is, is Christ and his love for us. And that the Lord is holy and that is the problem of humanity from Genesis 3 throughout the rest of the book. And Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In the passage we read in 1 John, he says he's the propitiation or wrath bearer. And if they say, well, I only listen to Jesus, well, Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, right? That, that is the, the clear and consistent theme of scripture. That's the good news of the gospel. There's no other gospel. And, and for them, their, their good news isn't even news, really. It's, it's good behavior, right? If we just modify our external behavior enough, life would be better. However, Christianity is a story, right? It, it's news declared over us that someone else's behavior on our behalf actually makes our life and our eternity better. So there's a radically different gospel. One is not even a gospel. It's good behavior. The other is a true declaration of good news. So that's one and two, the deity of Christ and sin and the gospel. The third thing that's ignored is scripture with an asterisk. So no one would explicitly say, well, we should ignore scripture in the moral exemplars camp. But oftentimes it, it is a picking and choosing or a slicing and dicing of scripture um, that they agree with or don't agree with. And this often takes the view of the, taking the current culture's dominant emphasis and solely focusing on Jesus' teaching on that subject and sort of ignoring everything else. So maybe in the 20th century for the moral exemplarist, it was if you don't love the poor and have a big part of your life really focused on that, you aren't a true disciple of Jesus. That Jesus taught on that, that we should model our life off him, and that's what defines a true disciple against anything else. Now it could be in this sort of hyper-tolerant culture, it could be, well, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. And so the true disciple of Jesus, again, models his life off Christ and doesn't say anything bad about anyone, that they don't say anything that could be hurtful, that truth, you know, that's violent. So the, the Christian wouldn't try and put their beliefs on anyone else. However, we, we know that if you say that we model our life off Christ, we have to model our life off every part of Christ, right? And so for every time that Jesus has intense compassion on someone who's sick, he's also rebuking the Pharisees because they're misleading people. For every time that he's teaching on love your enemies, he's also teaching, as Max mentioned, marriages between one man and one woman, and divorce is an abomination, and he would not be affirming. And so you can't be like Thomas Jefferson and rip some pages out of the Bible and then keep others that you say you want to model your life off of. And so that, that's the problem then with the view. And so then we have to get practical. If we have a friend or family member that would hold this view that, you know, I just try and model my life off Christ. I just love people, want to be like Jesus. How, how do we handle that? And I, I'd say the first thing to do right off the bat is make sure the conversation does not center around Jesus being our model, that we completely agree with that. That is an affirmation, right? He certainly is. There's no refuting the biblical evidence. And that's good news that God has come in the flesh to show us how we are to live. And so you don't want to get accused of 
denying that part of the statement. Remember, it's about what they're ignoring, not what they're necessarily proclaiming. And so I think the, the crux of the issue here is the fact that for Jesus to be our model, he has to be our Savior and Lord first. It's Savior and Lord, and then model after that. You can't flip that order, right? There is no one who has not been saved by Christ that actually models their life off Christ. And so if you'll turn, last place we'll go is Romans 8. I think we could see that, see that clearly. So Romans 8, we'll start in verse 5. We read, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so notice the language of the last two verses there, that the one who has not been saved, the one who has not been regenerated, can't actually please God. It's a functional impossibility. That no one who says, I just try and model my life of Christ, but does not accept the true gospel and repent and believe, they actually don't have the internal wiring and ability to model Christ. And so the moral exemplar's view, it is a harsh, harsh view. And teachers of this idea are really signing up their students for a hard life, a, hard, a life that's impossible. If you've ever heard of, um, there's this story in Greek mythology about a guy named Sisyphus, and he, mis he makes the gods angry for some behavior, right? And his punishment is he's going to go down to Hades, and particularly for him, because he displeased them, he has to roll this massive boulder up a cliff. And that's his task, and just before he gets to the top, every time, the boulder falls back and rolls all the way down to the bottom, and he has to restart on and on again for all eternity, just about reaching the top and then failing. And it's a cruel and harsh punishment because it is a hopeless task. It's impossible. And so in the same way, that is the moral exemplarist worldview. They will either create a new god in their own image that they can actually get the boulder to the top and be worshiping an idol, or if they actually try and follow Christ, they will not actually be able to get there. There's no true morality apart from the regenerating work of the Spirit. That, yes, there's common grace in which non-believers can operate in a way that does reflect God's law, but true internal moral change that the moral exemplarist is advocating for can't happen apart from the true gospel. It's like looking for a feast in a desert. It just, just doesn't work. It's fool's gold, right? And so... That's where we have very, very good news for our friends and family who would say they just try and model their life off Christ, is that we actually have the vertical healing that needs to take place before the horizontal morality can change, right? That for those who repent and believe the good news, we get three things. We, we get sight, desire, and power. So we get sight in which we can actually see Christ with spiritual eyes, that enables us to follow him, that we see him, we behold his glory, as Paul talks about in, to the Corinthians, and then we are changed into his image, right? And so we get sight, spiritual sight, to see him and then be changed. We also get desire, where the moral exemplarist 
if they're being honest, if they're, they're not a believer, they don't have a desire to truly follow Christ. But for the believer, we get new desires. Our heart is changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and we actually desire to model our life after Christ. And then we get power at the end of the day when we're filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, where we actually have the ability and the power to model our life off Christ. And so the, the goal that they want, which is the morality of Christ, we heartily agree with. But we have to stay and be firm on first Savior and Lord, and then he's our model. And you can't flip that. So we'll pray and then have time for Q&A. God and Father, uh, we thank you for your good news. And we thank you that you have preserved your gospel year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, from impurities, from dross, from the attacks of the enemy, because your gospel is good news. That we are free only in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ and faith in him. And so we thank you for this great news that we all can look back on and see his changed our life and changed our eternity. And we, we pray for those uh, that deny it, that believe something different. We pray we would have compassion on them, that you would work in their hearts, and that you would actually surround us with people who proclaim this, that we may see you save them. Lord, we know you know who uh, are yours, and we desire to see them come to know you as well. So thank you uh, for this time. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.